We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I'm apartment hunting, so it's not going good. <laughs> it's the worst thing in the universe. If I don't find something in the next 29 days, I'm homeless. That's literally the stakes right now. Okay, so if you know of good places in Toronto, tell Simon. Yes. Preferably inexpensive or free. <laughs> At the end of the show, we're going to have our DVD shelf segment this week with Tom Griffin of the Paul Goebel Show. We got to talk Robotech, which was fun. Some Saturday morning cartoons. Yes. Uh, this one got interesting. I thought. Yeah, we, we've only done a couple animes uh, uh, at any point, and I don't know, I would be curious to hear from people where this where they feel that this falls on the anime spectrum because of the rather interesting and unique structure of Robotech, but we'll talk about that later with Tom. Uh, so that that's coming at the end of the show. It was a lot of fun. Also, it's uh, it's December, so we're getting into top 10 season, and at Sound of Sight, it, December means Tarantino month, so we have all sorts of reviews coming up leading up to Django Unchained. We're doing four individual tarantino podcast the last one of which will be uh, diango unchained and i think we're going to review it with the original diango J django sorry i keep getting that wrong <laughs> the d is silent as the trailer clearly states yes well and it's also uh it's tarantino month but it's also you know in december end of year times coming up so we'll be doing a bunch of top tens we're putting together a uh the last uh, of course televerse comes out on tuesdays so that means there'll be a new episode on christmas and on New Year's, and so we're going to do our top ten episodes for, for at least Can I just say, you're you're the only podcaster in the world who insists on having podcasts coming out on holidays. I swear to God. Well, it's, if the holidays just wouldn't happen on Tuesdays, then I would be much better better off. I mean, oh, yeah. so it's the, it's the holidays' fault. Well, okay. clearly, it's not my own neuroses. That's just ridiculous. Um, but uh, speaking of neuroses, <laughs> I had a lot of fun talking with you guys this week on uh, Twitter and then at the website, of course, because uh, I, I, uh, I live-tweeted Lord of the Rings, so I'm, I'm sure I annoyed at least a few people with that. But I had so much fun talking with you guys. I got into it with Juan about uh, elven hair and... Aragorn's greasy locks and all sorts of other hilarious things and uh, Amanda to lots of Lord of the Rings talk with Amanda and then Vampire Diaries with Steph, Walking Dead with Ken and he pretty much called uh, at least an element of what went down in the finale so that was pretty fun and then also uh, I was on the Masterpiece Cinema podcast this past week talking about Enchanted with uh, with the Masterpiece guys so you can find that over at Send on Site and take a listen that was a lot of fun we we get our uh, McDreamy on which it was a div it was a divisive topic amongst the group whether or not uh, Patrick Dempsey was good in that film so if you're interested in my thoughts on that you can take a listen to Masterpiece uh, but let's uh, let's get into our week in TV here because we have. You know, it's it's like everything is going into their final episodes before the just the doldrums of, of the end of December. Um, so I guess we'll kick it off with Tuesday and the uh, Tuesday comedies 
which in this case is Ben and Kate, Guitar Face, New Girl, Eggs, The Mindy Project, Teen Patient. Uh, just the Fox comedies this week. So what did you think about uh, what Fox had to offer? I, I didn't get to Mindy Project, which I've been sort of disengaged from lately, but I did watch the other two. I actually thought New Girl had a really, really strong episode with one caveat, which is that I feel like we reverted to manic pixie mode with Zoe Deschanel's character, and it really, really bugged me. The whole talking to a rhino thing was just, oh, do we need this? Like, And and I also, I was annoyed that they they went the route with her and Cece that was the most predictable, where everything is fine for our lead, but Cece's the one with trouble, which is exactly what every other sitcom in the universe has ever done with that plotline. Uh, other than that, I thought it was really funny and, and occasionally touching, which was nice to see. And I it, I was surprised to see Carla Gugino again, and I was I, I did like the beat that her and Schmidt had. Yeah, and uh, I think that's a smart way to take Schmidt. It, I, a lot of this season with Schmidt, and and particularly CC, has felt like treading water to get us back to the two of them together. Um, and I think this was another step in that. Uh, I would love, actually, if we came back next week and Schmidt and CC got together and decided to get married and have a kid. Like, I would be all for just You want to skip right to that, yeah. Yeah, because it just it feels like everywhere I've, I've enjoyed what they've done. I, I want to say the boyfriend's name is Robert. Is that is that right? Robbie, yeah, yeah. I've really enjoyed what they've done with him. I, I like what it says about Cece. I, I like what their relationship says about Cece, and uh, I've actually really enjoyed that dynamic of Schmidt having to deal with that this is who she's dating. Um, but it does feel very inevitable that they're going to get those two back together, and I'm not particularly interested in watching everybody jump through the hoops again yeah. uh, as much as they did enjoy that that process the first time around uh but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see where they go with it i also you know when, when i saw that this was what the plot synopsis was gonna when i you know heard what the episode was gonna be about i was very leery i feel like a lot of these comedies especially the female-centric ones at some point i feel like they all tend to do this sort of you know, baby crazy, clicking talk kind of storyline. And I actually thought they did a good job of establishing it, of, of, of legitimizing um, that, that with with uh, the test thing that, that Jess and Cece take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they did, basically my fears for the episode were not realized and they handled it pretty well. Um, I agree, mm-hmm. just, Jess is not my favorite character on the show right now. But uh, yeah, but but it was a better, much better episode than I expected. I also enjoyed Guitar Face, and <laughs> like I think I believe um, it's like you said last week on the Televerse. I like what they're doing with with uh, Kate's boyfriend, and I like that they're actually giving him some character traits in a way that maybe they still kind of haven't <laughs> with Winston uh, on on New Girl, though he's getting better. Yes, um, and you know I I didn't think this was quite as good as last week. I feel like. The whole Ben and his wacky ideas for making money is my least favorite aspect of the main plot. Like, it, it seemed like a one-off or a two-episode thing they should have gotten rid of and moved on to something else. It's too broad and wacky and is almost never funny. The whole thing with getting his buddy fired and et cetera, et cetera, was just, uh, I don't need to watch this. And uh, as per usual, Lucy Punch continues to just run roughshod over the show. Yeah. Like, so much. She's fabulous. She's basically the Lady Schmidt at this point. Yeah, that, that, that seems about right. Oh my God, Schmidt and BJ in a scene together. I don't know, could, we, could our TVs take it? I think we just need to mash up those shows. Although I, I don't want to underrate Dakota Johnson because her her, her flustered 
reaction to things is, is it continues to be uh, amazing every week. Well, and I also loved the the montage of the previous uh, the previous boyfriends and the straw that broke the camel's back for each. Uh, I, I enjoy. Right. Yeah. He's blind. It's important that he's blind. Okay. Uh, it was was pretty good. With the the Mindy Project this week, there were good things and less entertaining things. A lot of people really liked this episode. It sees Mindy. Uh, dealing uh, in air interacting with her teenage neighbor who has a boyfriend and she spends a lot of the episode at the high school the the neighbor wants to get uh birth control and so there's i want to meet the guy i don't know if you know you guys are young and you know all that sort of stuff and a lot of the a lot of the episode actually worked really well i enjoyed watching mindy interact with with the neighbor whose name escapes me at the moment but seeing her as actually a, a force of maturity was nice and um and i really there was a bit of a message to it but i thought they handled that really well and this uh notion of of teenage love being forever it's like yeah, you know what's forever herpes herpes is forever <laughs> it's gross google image search it i i really enjoyed that uh and and it does continue to be interesting what they're doing with with the uh the boyfriend i think josh just the fact that I remember his name, clearly. Yeah, I don't remember yes. many characters' names, but I remember his name. Uh, that, that's been good. So, yeah, I, I also have enjoyed that the, I expected them to be pushing the Mindy-Danny thing a lot more this in this, you know, this season, and they really haven't. And so I've enjoyed watching the dynamic, really, of the group come together. So it's been, it's been you know, I'm still enjoying it. Next on Tuesday, we have Parenthood. You can't always get what you want. Uh, this week, let's start out with Parenthood Music Alert. Oh, uh, I don't. I, once again, I I don't really have any music. It's funny because ever since you established that we need to have a music <laughs> alert, I've stopped noticing things. Good. Uh, I, I I maybe it's a mixing issue, but I have noticed the music slightly less prominent. So maybe I guess they've been listening to me. Uh, thank you, NBC, and uh, and all involved. Uh, you're welcome. Anyway, um, yeah, this this was an all right episode. I, I don't I don't feel like Parenthood's really had a bad episode, but it didn't feel anywhere near as as good to me as last week. The um, uh, it seems like they went backwards also with um with Monica Potter, where suddenly she seems more composed than she did last week, and I'm not sure how realistic that is, but whatever. Um, well, uh, with chemo, as I understand it, and of course I could be completely wrong here, but as I understand it, you get a dose of chemo and then you, then there's a while of before you get your next dose and so it would make sense for her to get okay. a little better before you know and so that that made sense to me fair enough um i i i like that we had ray romano back more or less full-time and um the way that's progressing is basically the way that i was expecting i'm not quite sure there's a couple ways they can go about resolving it i don't know what do you think they're going to do well, I saw the next week on trailer, so I don't want to say anything because I know some people don't want to have any information about the, the trailers and everything, so that could be considered a spoiler. I, I'm not very enthused by how that seems to be going. I, 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 I don't know. Just remind me, did Lauren Graham's character tell Jason Ritter's character? See, character names. I don't remember their names right now. Uh, Sarah. Sarah Braverman. Did Sarah tell her fiancé about Ray Romano kissing her? No. Okay. Then I don't understand why he's having the reaction that he's having. It seems sort of immature. I don't know. Maybe it's just the environment I grew up around, but work is work, and work takes um, precedence over a fun weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, I I understand the exception to the fact that you know they're they're getting their own wedding plan, and so that's sort of because they're going to a wedding. There's kind of like a weird wedding there's a, thing. Or, or there's a resonant frequency in there, and also the fact that it, it had been the subject of of apparently several months planning, which I don't understand why it would take that much planning, but whatever. Uh, I can understand him being pissed, and also in 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 uh, in conjunction with that weird drunken thing from the previous night. Which was not work related. No, um, that's it, true. It, seem, it seems like he's got a case, and obviously in, he actually does have a case. So I can't really, I, I can't fault him for his reaction. Um, I don't know. I, like I get the, I mean, but but maybe if it had been established as more of a pattern, but you get a drunken phone call from somebody at at one a.m. that you, I mean, because there are only two people in that office. So yes, it's it's her boss, but also a th- colleague, you know, sort of friend. Yeah. That doesn't seem like that's that, you know, going to pick him up and send him home. That doesn't seem like that's that crazy of a thing. So, I don't know, maybe they just needed to do a little bit more legwork there. He just, he felt really insecure, um, yeah. especially because she was, you know, do, you know, going out of her way to try to do both, to try to not just blow off the weekend because she knows how important it is to him. I don't know. I just, you know, and, and, and if he had, if he knew that Romano clearly has feelings for her, that would make more sense to me. But I would, I didn't recall that being a conversation that happened. I felt like she only told Peter Krause's character. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just, mm-hmm. I'm, I think more than anything, I'm just afraid of where it's going. Right. Yeah. I, I feel the same way about the stuff with the son and the girlfriend, but um, <laughs> yeah. anyway, the also, is it just me or are dances not an important thing? I don't understand what, why on, on TV when parents, I mean, admittedly, she is a cancer stricken parent, so that's a different thing. She doesn't want to miss any milestones, et cetera, et cetera. But when, since when are dances important? Um, I think it really depends on the person and the parent. Dances really were not a big deal in, in my family. Um, we did still get pictures, you know, it's like, oh, take a picture before you go to the dance or whatever when there were dances with any of my myself and my siblings but i but our neighbor for example across the street they make a big deal about you got to go to every dance and so i think it it really does depend huh. on probably what the parents high school experience was like and how important dances were to them or in their household all right <laughs> just just as a warning that'll be the question at the end of the show this week were, were dances important <laughs> in your household listeners uh Anyway, yeah, but regardless, you know, it, it was a it was a fine episode. Nothing mind blowing, uh, nothing too enraging. Just just some weird little niggling points. Yeah, and uh, I did continue to enjoy the um, the stuff with Matt Loria's character and Mae Whitman. I, I'm really liking that we're getting to see Mae Whitman's character and and her grandpa sort of connect about this issue. And mm-hmm. it's just it is really nice to see a, a show on TV right now on network TV addressing. Uh, you know, veterans affairs and and what happens to some of these people when they come home. I I think that's actually really great. So that's been really nice to see. Uh, Should we mention Pamela Adlon? Oh, yeah. Getting a very as much as I love Pamela Adlon, it's an extremely thankless guest part, which I assume will stretch out over a few episodes. I mean, but of course, if 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 I had to get someone to put to play the cranky, impossible to please neighbor, Pamela Adlon's a pretty damn good choice. Yeah, yeah, it'll be uh... It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, mostly, I'm just glad that there's because he's you know uh, Crosby is so you know happily married and good nerd. There's not going to be some sort of UST situation going on. I was 
grateful at least that that's not what this is. But uh, yeah, I'm not particularly stoked about that. Also, I wanted to to mention I'm very much enjoying Erica Christensen and watching her kind of screw up and try to figure out how to be a stay at home mom. The the husband's reaction to coffee time or whatever was pretty hilarious. So. Uh, I think that's a situation where I, I would say she's not in the right, but I'm still enjoying watching her character deal with that. Yeah, that's that's probably my least favorite sort of Braverman strand, but it's it, it's by no means bad. I do think that maybe more than just Monica Potter needs to be digging into Crosby's stash. Oh, yeah. Maybe They're they, all really strung out. They do seem to be pretty, uh, pretty uptight over at the Braverman clan. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's move on, though, to Wednesday, and let's start with... Key and Peel. We had the finale this week uh, to their season. They did just get picked up for a third season, so I think mm. I think we're both pretty stoked about that. Yeah, we yes. haven't we haven't been mentioning Key and Peel the past couple of weeks because we haven't really had that much to say. Um, what did you think about this finale? Which was you know was this similar to you of the last few weeks where it's been sort of hit and miss, or closer to the first few weeks where we were talking about it every week and we were really enjoying it? Uh, this this was pretty. I just thought this was up on the stronger end for me. Um, I think the nice thing, and, and hopefully something they'll do more of in the future, is, for instance, with that cold open sketch we get with the two last men in the world, like, that, <laughs> which was funny, but I could easily see that as being a sketch they went on that went on too long, or they did they they went on for a few more beats than they needed. It was just the right length. It got its point across, and it, honestly, you've probably figured out where it was going halfway through, but it was still funny when it happened. That's fine. It doesn't need to be unpredictable, but it it, it should be uh, brief. Also, is it just me, or I feel like in season one they didn't their their sort of um, their on stage bits didn't as explicitly introduce sketches as this season did. Like I, I feel like this season they were very much like this is what the sketch is about. Have a look. Is it is that just me? Well, I I, I don't know. I feel like that's always been what those moments did. It's just they they maybe tried to pretend that's not what they were doing but it seemed pretty clear to me so i was actually i'm actually okay with them being you know less cute about you know what what the purpose of those interstitial moments are I, one of the things i've actually really, really enjoyed about it that they've done a couple times this season is when they've beckoned the camera over to show some of the audience reaction like at the end of of this episode where the guy was crying and yes. it was last week where there was a woman up in the balcony who was just dying from you know from from one of the bits that just hit home or something so i've i've enjoyed that it makes it feel like a much more uh informal sort of setting and i really enjoy that yeah um i really like the sketch about uh, jordan's dad ah. and, and meeting it. it was it was weirdly personal like i mean obviously it was not that personal but it was still weird for them to dive into a bit of personal history i don't think i've ever seen them do that before well and duck soup too i mean yes yes that's pre- of course. pretty great yeah, I, I I did like this episode. Um, I know some people loved the hat thing. I don't know. I, I, I that didn't quite win me over. But uh, yeah, it was all right. But uh, clearly, someone in the audience thought it was great. Yeah, well, I, on Twitter too, I saw a bunch of people who really liked the the hat sketch. But I think the the strongest episode for me this season has definitely been, or definitely was the premiere, which I thought was almost entirely consistent and had definitely my favorite sketches of the entire season with uh, the the opera slow mo, you know, sketch and the mm-hmm. uh, the was it the pimp Jesus sketch or whatever. Yes, I I feel like if if you if you could take all ten episodes. You could probably make a full hour of killer sketches. It's just they're they're very much strewn 
throughout mm-hmm. a whole season. I, 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 it would be nice if they were a little bit more consistent, but I mean, there's really no other sketch comedy type thing on TV right now that's even touching it. So I'm not yeah, going to complain. Definitely agree. And like we said, we're both very glad to, to have more Keen Fields to look forward to uh, next year. So that maybe, and I know so you haven't really been talking about it, but if you haven't checked it out yet, it's definitely worth uh, taking a look at. They, totally. they know what they know what they're doing for the yes. most part yeah let's move on to top chef seattle which had uh it's it's next episode here and we had the reveal that they are indeed doing last chance kitchen again so we will have the opportunity for some of these people to to come back at the very end who are you rooting for oh obviously kaneko come on yeah yeah she's pretty great she's the best um <laughs> I thought this was another really solid episode. It seems like it's there. It seems feels a lot more consistent to me than last season already. So that's positive. I was really happy when um, Kristen was it. Yeah. Uh, when she, when she won for those mushrooms because honestly they I was looked looking amazing. at those. They looked so good. Like <laughs> she was like mushrooms. All right. I was like yeah, but those are some damn fine mushrooms. Well, and I liked that it showed that they took the time to show her process. It wasn't just oh, I'm just gonna the fact that she baked them and like and they they showed her explaining to the camera well you want to bake them a little bit get some of the moisture out so that way when you do it later it won't you know which is something that we've seen other people do dishes like this on the show in the past and they haven't done that and the mushrooms haven't been great so mm-hmm. I like. Like when there's just that little bit of educational like t- tips that you can take home and, and actually implement in your own cooking if you're gonna cook a bunch of mushrooms or something. And also, it's hard to do really good. It's not, or I shouldn't say it's hard. It's not easy to do really good un- fried onion rings. That's easy to get wrong. So uh, I enjoyed that she got some some props for for yeah. two sides. Well done. Also, does it make me a terrible person that I was kind of happy to see Carla go home? I, I, you know, if the reason I was happy uh, with that, uh, or I shouldn't say happy, but the reason I wasn't more disappointed is that it shows to me that the, that the the sending home is not very based on the producers wanting drama. Because if they wanted drama, she would still be around because she makes for good television in the kitchen. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, if, they, if they'd sent Carla and Stefan home this week, that would have been that would have been perfect for that. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I don't know, like as much as her complaints about about how she how she was treated were totally fair, absolutely, uh, she was still kind of she was not always all that much fun to watch and be around, yeah, yeah, so yeah, tricky, um, but uh, you trying to think of what else uh happened in this episode, um I was just I, mean, I guess I was just happy to have a double elimination and to not have any overly contrived decisions, and uh there was a bunch of stuff that I would have gladly eaten also. Well, and it looks like we're going to get another double elimination next week. So we'll see what happens. Oh, good. That would be great. But, uh, yeah, if if the next week on trailer, you know, is is correct, they they are not happy with their with their chefs next week. Now, I, I, for me, uh, I'm really enjoying Kristen. There are a couple other chefs. I'm liking, who is your early pick? I always like CJ, though, honestly, his, his performance this week didn't seem that great, and I would have been okay with him going home. I, I, and it seemed like he deserved to go home, um, but I was still happy that he was there because I, I enjoy CJ. Who are the people in the kitchen right now that, that you are most enjoying or that you would most like to see at, towards the end of the season? I don't know. I do like John, even though he's clearly a prick. Uh, mm-hmm. and he, Clearly he knows what he's doing, on the other hand. Um, Kristen's good, I don't, although I don't want to watch her and Stefan interact at all because it's really gross. <laughs> <laughs> especially the foot rub no god you're supposed to not make me want to lose my lunch um other than that there aren't too many 
standouts. I feel like there's it's still such a wide field, but there's nobody who's actively enraging me, so that's good. Hipster beard dude, uh, twirly mustache guy. Uh, he seems like he really knows what he's doing, but I, I just, I hate his mustache. It just seems so pretentious. I but mean, it's seriously, mo- who waxes and curls their mustache? It's Come November. On. You can't be angry. Well, actually, by the time this episode goes out, it will no yeah. longer be November. So I guess. Well, and you also can... they didn't film this, and you were near November. That's true. I, it just seems like an awkward time to be mad at mustaches. Oh man, I, it, it, not just like just the fact that it's like waxed and curled at the end—that's what yes. kind of just feels so phony. Maybe it's not, and the guy clearly knows what he's doing. He seems like he's a very proficient chef, but uh, yeah, that's for some some strange reason. That was mm-hmm. that's why I wouldn't have minded him going home. Just so I, I, have I to look at that. I mustache. really like Josie as well. Oh, I, I, even after the turkey fiasco. Uh, I'm I'm learning to forgive, but yeah, I mean, she should have gone home for that. But I did like her this week. Okay, cool. I would agree it's definitely been an improvement over last season. And so that that's good that we can already say that this early on. Um, next, I'm going to talk about Supernatural Hunteri Heroiki, uh, which is uh, the, their cartoon episode. It was actually, I love when Supernatural does uh, episodes like this that are really inventive and fun and on the, uh, the crazier side of things because their protagonists, the main two characters, are so incredibly serious and dour most of the time uh when they put the characters into a cartoon as they do this week but a live action cartoon uh it's it's pretty fun the this was about 50 percent successful 50 percent not and the not was all the fuzzy you know uh soft focus flashbacks to sam's romantic life uh before dean came back i'm really not interested in that at all and the fact that they are doing them Sam pause stops you know pauses to think looks off into the distance and then we we blur out and blur back in on a soft fo- focus you know flashback that really isn't helping um but the the part where they're you know in the present and there's a there's a hunter with some um psychotelekinetic powers who is sort of uh, he's in an old folks home and he's sort of living in his own cartoon kind of head and his uh, abilities are projecting around into a bubble around him leading to you know x marks the spot and anvils dropping and cartoon logic it was actually that part was really fun so i'm hoping we get more along that lines and uh yeah we'll see we'll see what comes next for supernatural next we have uh nashville lovesick blues and uh we were thinking about passing on this episode this week but decided to check in uh were you glad that you did so well yeah the the reason i checked in was because i i read about the synopsis which implied that reina and juliet were going to be working together which seemed rather contrary to where the show was the last time I checked in. So I thought, okay, maybe they're going out on a limb here, which they kind of are. Uh, the That aspect of the show actually didn't disappoint. It was great to see those characters interact and to watch uh, Panettiere and Britain get a scene together and not be at each other's throats. That was great. And there were a couple other aspects that I liked. Sonny from Treme, I forget his name right now. I've actually been enjoying him on the show which is surprising because it took a very, very long time for me to not be annoyed with him on Treme. Um, but maybe it's that's just a mark of how much more I like Treme than Nashville, that even a lesser bit player from Treme is, is, is good news here. And there were lots of other aspects that weren't as good. So yeah, still kind of on the fence, really. Yeah, that's, that's true for me too. There's a lot of the Scarlet Avery 
gunner stuff this week that I really was not enjoying. But let's start out positive. And I really liked the stuff we got with Juliet and Raina, particularly when when Ju- Raina shows up at Juliet's house and decides to act like a mature adult. I mean, like someone who's been successfully married for quite a long time with two small children that seem to be well-adjusted. You know, like someone who has all that would seemingly have to, you know, be able to act. And so I, I actually am kind of, based on this episode, I'm kind of looking forward to, I don't know, like two seasons down the line when they eventually decide to have the two bitches team up and take on somebody, I, I don't know who, but I feel like that is sort of going to be coming down the line. And uh, I actually am really looking forward to that because I, I think the that Connie Britton and Hayden Panettiere actually have really good... Uh, rapport and uh, and dynamics so i think that could be a lot of fun and i do also think the song at the end is good and it was nice to have good music back on the show well what was nice to me about that sequence I, again i don't know if it was a mixing thing but it seemed like the vocals were live or at least mixed in a way that they could feasibly be thought of as live which was nice um and and, and if, if there was auto-tuning i didn't notice it so that was good far um, and- subtler auto-tuning definitely Yes, uh, and there was I th- there was probably a little bit on Scarlet's Ring of Fire, but that was okay because I like Scarlet a lot more than anybody else, so that's fine. I feel like if anything is if 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 Nashville was to was to die tomorrow, I feel like the real takeaway would be Claire Bowen, who I feel like I need to see in more stuff. Yeah, I, I did also really like her Ring of Fire, and I mean, why can't the characters be singing covers every now and again? It makes sense that they would be singing covers every now, especially at the Bluebird or something like that, where that's not their concert. Um, And so rather than struggle to write what end up being a lot of mediocre, you know, somewhat forgettable pop songs, why don't pop country, at least, why don't you let them sing some of the all time great country music and that perhaps a generation of kids who might be watching this aren't familiar with Um, that. So, so I, I enjoyed that. And I would like to see more, in that vein, at least, uh, at least, uh, more frequently. So maybe like once every four episodes instead of once every seven or wherever we are at, at this season. Um, the, the big problem I had with, uh, with them, the younger generation this season is the slut shaming we get from Gunner. And uh. I feel like that's unfortunately, uh, a really common thing on shows like this. And these are not supposed to be teenagers. They're supposed to be adults and that's not okay. That he, she kisses a guy when she's broken up and single and and he calls her loose and it's and he doesn't apologize and there's no excuse for that and I really am disappointed in the show for, yeah, for doing that. Not only is it bad just in general, but it doesn't feel particularly true to the character either. Yeah. Who I've generally liked in past episodes and, you know, went off on a dalliance with his uh, with his whatever she is works for the label i don't actually understand what her position is um you know pretty his quickly his yeah, yeah now girlfriend but uh you know it, that escalated pretty quickly you know he mm-hmm. d- doesn't seem like he's uncomfortable with these sort of circumstances and then to have him do that i get that he's got feelings or whatever but uh, is there a worse word in the english language than feelings by the way i don't think there is <laughs> um anyway yeah no that whole thing was just a mess and then we have the uh, the political side of things, which, despite uh, Bunny Coleman's best attempts, uh, by the way, am I the only one who really enjoys that? Th- there's the Coleman, you know, connection there. Oh, it's Buddy Coulson, isn't it? Or Coleman it's and then Colvin. it's Coulson. It was Colvin. Okay, but I feel like that can't be accidental, and I've I've very much enjoyed that. <laughs> yes, uh, that's yeah. That stuff is all still very boring. 
Yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is something you said that it would be nice if, despite the, the show's really interesting scope and it's trying to do a lot, and it would be nice if 50% of it worked 50% of the time. Uh, yeah, I, I, and and also, would you like to share your thoughts on perhaps real national tragedy? Oh, you, oh yeah, I, I feel like you know, this is a show that's set in Nashville, and the show's got too many characters that don't work. Let's get in some, some alcohol poisoning and plane crashes and stuff from Nashville's history that might start to thin the herd a little bit. Because if anything, the show's being far too conservative. Okay, you can kill three characters right now. Who are they? Avery, for sure. We're, we're supposed to care about what he's doing right now, and it's just not working. Um, I would say Avery... Um, Gunner can stay alive for now, because I do generally like him, just not this week. Um, Gunner's girlfriend I don't really have much use for. And, I don't know, third one, you pick. Oh, I have three off the top. Powers Booth, Eric Close, and uh, for the third, right now I actually am kind of okay with Avery, um, just because I'm enjoying the the theoretic theoretical um, contrast of his seeming you know success with what we're gonna I assume see with Scarlet and Gunner. So I think you know kind of paralleling that could be interesting, even if it maybe it's not right now. So if I had to pick a third. Hmm. I'm actually not sure. I, I say kill off Powers Booth and let the sister fill that role, which is far more interesting than this maniacal father figure that we've gotten about 30 seconds of humanizing information about. Um, keep, uh, I don't. I guess I don't know who I would kill. I guess Avery, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Avery just, didn't, just doesn't get out alive in this in this circumstance. I, I do I do think Gunner's girlfriend is useless because she because she she just has temporary character written all over her. I I actually like her this week. I like uh she seems like she is smart and nice and a decent person and with uh and fun and a good influence to have around. And given the drama that all these other characters seem to have, it's nice to have a character who's relatively drama free and seems to have her head on her shoulder correctly. I guess, but th- that's why I've been enjoying the Sunny character because he mostly just sits around, makes wisecracks, and doesn't get in anybody's way. Yeah, I, actually, and I've been enjoying the stuff with Juliet, uh, her and her her new kind of boyfriend, Football virgin boyfriend. That smacks a bit too strongly of some you know rip from the headlines kind of things. I'm not you know that doesn't seem that interesting, but uh, but it's nice to see that side of Juliet, and I think they've done a really good job of fleshing her out. So. I think it's time for them to put their two leads together more frequently. Yeah, I agree. The final Wednesday show that we have is The Hour, which had its season two premiere. And the note I have next to The Hour is Peter Capaldi, bitches. How great is it to have him back on our TV? I think it's important to explain that was your only note for the entire week. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Peter Capaldi rules. He's got to be in the five best male performers on TV right now. Definitely. Like throw him in there with Patinkin and Aaron Paul and uh, et cetera, et cetera. He's he totally belongs up there, especially comparing his work on the thick of it, uh, which got surprisingly dramatic at times, uh, but also completely hilarious. And here he's playing it totally straight and also still rules. So I didn't see any of season one of the hour, so I'm playing catch up here. This was my first episode. Uh, let's let's get that figured out first. It's it's. It's an interesting show. It's good. I don't know if I'm totally blown away by it yet, but I'm I'm I enjoyed this premiere. 
I find it interesting if you compare it to Mad Men, which I can't help but do. It's I feel like the way it approaches depicting the fifties feels a lot more stylized and sort of nodding to the to the to the sort of film look of the period rather than aiming for verisimilitude necessarily, which is an interesting way to go. That's interesting. I didn't remember that uh, that you hadn't seen the first season of The Hour. Uh, it's only six episodes, so if, if you know if in the, by the middle of episode two, episode three, you're you're enjoying it, I would highly recommend going back to check it out. The the thing that's interesting that that I think really differentiates The Hour from from Mad Men, say, is that uh, it com- it whereas Mad Men is just about these characters and their world, and uh, really it's about you know looking at what the '60s was, but also through the lens of who these people are, the the hour combines multiple elements. So in the first season, there's this um, actually by the end really interesting sort of spy component that is paralleled against uh, against some of the history of the time that as an American I was not familiar with. I don't know my British history in the fifties very very closely, and apparently this season that that concluded at the towards the end of, of last season. And this season, there's going to be the crime element with, you know, which we have already started to see come into play in this first episode. But uh, I, I feel like it's, it is more stylized um, in that way because it is melding genres and you're, they're spending time on these, uh, I guess, season arcs, you know, that are diff- completely uh, separate or at least plot-wise they're separate from our characters. Uh, so I do think that's an interesting uh, c- uh, parallel or, or contrast, perhaps, to make. So what do you think of these leads? Of course, we, we love Dominic West on The Wire, which we will eventually get to a DVD shelf of. Um, but what about Ben Wishaw, who's, of course, now in every British movie, uh, as Ever, well as yes. Ramla Garai? Uh, I, I do like Ramla Garai. Ben Wishaw I like in general. Uh, I think he, he has the most thankless... He had the most thankless male male lead role of the of the 21st century in uh, Bright Star, uh, opposite Abby Cornish and Paul Schneider. But I don't. I, I guess it not having seen, seen season one hurts me because I found his character insanely smug and difficult to deal with. So yeah, I don't know. I, I guess maybe if I'd watched season one, I would have appreciated his badassness. But here he just came across just so insufferable. Oh, he was great, and it was it, it's it was wonderful to see the character. So uh, you can because he, of course, at the end of last season, or you know, between the seasons, I suppose he's uh, there's been some time that's passed. He's gone away. He's done some traveling, um, and, and some other things that have gone down. And so where we find him, he is so much more together and grounded. And it's really it's really interesting to see the contrast in his character. And, and really the confidence and calm in him at the beginning of uh, this premiere, or when he shows up, I should say, as compared to where he was last season. It, was a, it, it does feel like he's a far more centered and mature character than he was. So I actually, I loved that contrast. There you go. See, I didn't get the contrast. I just got the the self-satisfaction, which rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe, maybe he'll grow on me. <laughs> See, I didn't find him smug at all. But then again, uh, I I feel like the character's a badass. So you know, he was a badass all last season, and so I maybe I just bought into it. There you go. That's why I didn't notice. Let's see, Dominic West is also his character's in a very different place, or at least a, a logically extrapolated place, but a different place this season than last season. And uh, yeah, having bringing Peter Capaldi's character into the mix, I think promises a lot of really interesting 
developments and uh i don't know do you, anything else to say about the the hour though i guess the thing that has me nervous is the whole rape plot line thing doesn't interest me that much and it feels like that's what they're going with for a little while but we'll see we'll we'll see where where that that goes we don't really get that in this episode but we will be seeing theoretically more with with her for a while but uh yeah I don't want to say too much because I don't want to get into the next week on. So. Right. Yes. So we'll we'll check back in next week. It's definitely one I'm going to stick around for the whole season. H- have they caught you enough to stick around for the whole season? Oh yeah, yeah I'll definitely. I mean, especially. I mean, what else am I going to watch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything's going off the air right now. One yeah. more week for all of our, all of these shows. Let's move on then to Thursday and the Thursday comedies, which include Thirty Rock, Mazeltov Dummies, Parks and Rec, Pawnee Commons, Always Sunny, Frank's Back in Business, The League, The Vapor Sport. Did you watch The League this week? I did. Uh, I didn't think it was a very good week for the comedies, to be honest. The best was probably Parks and Rec, and I still didn't. And I didn't think it was a particularly good Parks and Rec. I, I don't really dig episodes where where they make Leslie petty and. And uh, put her in, you know, sort of vindictive anti-Eagleton mode, unless unless they really pull out all the stops. And to me, like, I don't really enjoy seeing the character revert to that. I much prefer her in um, sort of happy-go-lucky mode. Is that just me? Yeah, I love the Eagleton stuff whenever okay, it comes out. So, so yes, that that is just you. Uh, but I, I would agree, it wasn't the best week for the comedies. They were they were all pretty hit and miss for me. Uh, yeah, so, so I I would also agree that the Parks and Rec was the best. You didn't enjoy the Burt Macklin storyline? It was okay. I, I feel, I'm glad they retired him, some, apparently, because they really had drove that into the ground, and I feel like that was kind of them recognizing that. Um, I, I'm, I'm really glad. Honestly, my favorite thing about this season so far is their decision to do anything with Tom and to have him actually sort of get his shit together. That's That's been really nice to see, and I... I, and I Mind you, I feel like that's just going to inevitably lead to a Tom and reconciliation, which I guess is good because they're not giving her anything to do. Well, do you think they're going for a Tom and reconciliation or a Tom or an Anne Chris reconciliation? No, definitely not Anne and Chris. I don't see that happening. He's still and completely messed up. What are they going to do with up. Chris? They're having too much fun extending his tailspin. I feel like they're going to do that as long as they can. Oh, but I feel like that's just dead. They've. You know, they beat it to de- death a while ago, and it's just it's just yeah, sad. They're still doing point. it, though. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been enjoying that still, but I like sad things. Um, <laughs> 30 Rock, it, it was a big deal for some people because there was a wedding involved. To me, it, it kind of highlighted what I don't like about the show mostly, which is that this would have been a perfect time to slow down a little bit and really explore the characters and and you know just generally not be quite so frenetic for once, maybe. But then they decided to do this as, I guess, stick to their guns, which is kind of honorable, I suppose. But then still have this very rapid fire episode that had a bunch of subplots and then still have a have a have a wedding happen, which just felt like too much not done well enough. Yeah, I I get really tired of Bridezilla's as I was <laughs> complaining to you while I watched it. Uh, I, I just don't think there are that many in real life. I've played a lot of weddings and I've I don't think I've ever really run into a Bridezilla uh, so, so that just doesn't really that doesn't hit home for me. It just feels really cheap, like a really cheap way to try to get laughs, um, and it didn't really fit with the character. I thought so. It just kind of came out of nowhere, which they they do on occasion. They go for the laugh over anything on Thirty Rock, and you know that is okay. I think the the most entertaining part of this episode for me uh, was probably uh, Tracy Jordan trying being responsible. 
that was I thought that sequence worked. And then I always love uh, seeing John Hodgman. John Hodgman pop up, uh, so that that was a lot of fun. As yeah. much as the rest of that, I didn't care about, but John Hodgman, I liked. Yeah, I, I love John Hodgman, but he did not get nearly enough to do. Like he, he, they stuck him in a in a subplot that maybe took up four minutes of the episode. That was that was disappointing. Like I said, too, they're trying to do too much. Like, come on, at least give John Hodgman his own episode. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, always Sunny continues to be not good enough. Yeah, was, like it was just not. It was actually maybe my least favorite of the season so far. It just, again, felt like stuff they've maybe not explicitly done before. But although in the case of the uh, of the presentation at the end of the episode with the crow oil or whatever that was, like that, that was very clearly an echo of many things they've done before. Yeah, I actually thought having Frank go back into the business world was interesting. And I don't, I don't feel like they've done that before. So that, I thought, had a lot of potential, but the way it played out didn't necessarily work for me. I did enjoy some of the Dennis stuff. Dennis continues to be just by far the most psychotic of yes. all of them. Uh, the, the se- between the sequence in the, uh, the the locker room, which was all kinds of disturbing, and uh, and then the, the later conversation with Dee at the, at the end. Wow, that character is fucked up. But um, I did think the rest of the episode was, was fairly disappointing. But I wanted to mention the league just because it was nice to see JB Smoove back on my TV. Yes, in a in a very appropriately Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Very, yeah. it, it maybe a little bit more madcap than that usually gets, but in in the way that the plot thread sort of converged at the end felt very Kirby. Um, you know, it was an all right episode. It I felt like it it probably. It gets A for effort just in terms of throwing out so many gags and then having some of them stick. Some of them were kind of amusing. Uh, the ending was a little bit labored with the, especially the the end of the um, of the plotline involving involving Ruxin and his and his uh, and his blind um, and the the blind guy he's representing. That was a little bit much, but I did I did like the ending of the of the JB Smoove Mark Duplass segment. Well, and even just the daughter in the bathrobes. Oh yes, that was great. That was the visual great. gag was pretty hilarious. So, uh, yeah, it, it does distress me somewhat that the league seems to be having a better season than Always Sunny. Yeah, it feels kind of weird. Feels uh, feels backwards, man. Yeah. Um, next, we'll have we'll talk about Vampire Diaries, My Brother's Keeper, and for me, and I apologize uh, anyone who who is used to reading my reviews. I've been out with a cold for the past week and a half so i'm really behind on my reviews i will hopefully get caught up on vampire diaries over the course of this next week but i did have uh some issues with this episode if only because i do not think they have established in any meaningful way uh that elena is different now than she was as a human I don't, she doesn't feel like a different character and, and everybody keeps just saying that she's different and she's changed, but I, I, I haven't seen that much like with Carolyn. I feel like certain elements of her character are heightened, which is what's supposed to happen, but she does not feel different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, that just that, me? That's fair. Um, and I think that's partially a writing problem and partially a performance problem, uh, that, that, um, you know, Dobrev hasn't done enough to maybe differentiate that post um, post transformation idea. I do think that the whole siring thing was kind of clever, just be, just with the way everyone pointing out. Oh yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh yeah. Well, except and- that we don't know that Damon uh, was it was his blood that turned her because Meredith gave her 
vampire blood, but we don't know where Meredith got that blood from. We don't know how old it was. We have no way of knowing that she got that blood from Damon. Okay. So I don't understand why the characters know that. Because the only hmm. person who should know that should be Meredith Fell. Right. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe there was a deleted scene somewhere that they forgot to edit back in. Yeah, if they're trying to connect it to the blood sharing thing that happened, that I could that would make sense to me. But they didn't. And so I was kind of confused with that too. Also, I don't know do you when did they start trying to sell this notion of Elena as being a completely changed person? Because I don't feel like that really started until the last couple of episodes. I don't feel like that started with her transformation. No, that started with with her and Stefan and, and them trying to make it feel like they were drifting apart or whatever. Okay, I'm not crazy then. No, you're not crazy. You're just attentive. Um, <laughs> which I, I suppose by some standards makes you makes you crazy. Um, the can we can I just mention that uh, I, I've noticed that that April is short. And apparently has curves, which means she's doomed. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really uh, spell goodness on this show, does it? No. Um, how about you said this week that you are finally getting Caroline? Yeah, well, I, I, because I, I, I missed a whole bunch. I've, I've really only seen about a quarter of the show. I just made sure to hit the touchstones, you know, finales and and important episodes and premieres, et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't really get a lot of Caroline's sort of evolution, but this week I, I was really enjoying her and sort of her interaction with with Stefan sort of being his sponsor or whatever and, and just generally marshalling everyone and being not so high drama. Although her, the stuff with Klaus, I just don't get. I mean, yeah. I get that she's playing him, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get why he cares so much about everybody. You probably, I would mention, you missed the, like the dance episode with the originals and Esther. Yes. Yeah. So that was where they really introduced the, this whole Klaus Caroline thing. Um, in that episode, and then it's pretty much shaken a back burner, um, and then just popped up here and there. So that makes sense to be something that that you wouldn't have seen. Um, they haven't really explained why Klaus likes Caroline, other than the fact that Caroline's awesome. So uh, you're, I don't think you're really missing too much there. Uh, okay. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm just I'm not very ex excited about uh, about Professor Shane and how a lot of these things seem to be coalescing. Um, I do like that Caroline just came out full tilt for Team Stefan this week. Yes. That was just awesome. She just stopped pretending to be neutral. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, and I know there are a lot of fans who are not happy with this, uh, you know, the reveal of the siring and therefore sort of mind control. And there are a lot of uh, Team uh, Delena who are not happy, I'm sure, about But it seems like it's unwitting mind control, which... Is which actually is interesting to me because then there's like a whole ethical dilemma that could be. Because mm -hmm. I I do feel like one of the more interesting strains of the Vampire Diaries is, or at least was, you know, Elena is not as powerful as these other characters, and therefore different considerations must be taken if to respect her decisions. Because you know you could force her to do whatever, but you really shouldn't. And now it's a little different because she it's a sort of even the playing field, but then maybe they haven't with this whole siring thing. So. I do find that the, the sort of relationship ethics aspect of the show to be interesting. Yeah, I, I would agree. And it though it, do, it does seem strange that as Stefan has always been the character that has respected her choices and her individuality and her free will, and Damon uh, has been always been the character who thinks he knows best for her. And so to see that utter utter trans, you know, they've completely swapped roles in the, in the past few episodes. To see that has been interesting. I hope it's intentional. 
Mm-hmm. And that's because and, I could see a very clear parallel why why she's more attracted to Dean at this point because Stefan keeps holding stuff from her and trying to do what he thinks is best instead of just being open and honest with her. And that would be interesting. But I I also agree that what they're doing now is is kind of interesting too. So it's a kind of a big bloody mess over on the Vampire Diaries, but I'm still enjoying it. Yes. Um, next we have Last Resort, Big Chicken Dinner, and this is their Thanksgiving episode in theory. But really, it's it's I think it's fine that they aired it a week late. Yeah, honestly, the the title of the episode is very confusing. But anyway, um, yeah, this was mostly just a rape. He said, she said episode, which honestly, was there anyone who didn't know exactly how this was going to play out from the moment it started? I didn't feel like there was any. I mean, some of the particulars, maybe, but I feel like it was pretty obvious, A, that he did it, B, that he'd be caught. Oh, see, I didn't I didn't I thought they did a pretty good job, though, actually, on the way that they. Did it. I think the actor did a good job of not, you know, putting out the rapey vibe. And the fact that the character has been a recurring presence on the show, I didn't necessarily expect what we got with him because I was expect because it seemed to come out of nowhere. We were expecting other things to happen with this character, at least I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think, actually, if, if this is where they always intended to go with the character introducing him you know as as a significant character a while back was a really smart thing to do and uh yeah i I think that i thought i thought that this works i guess i liked it a lot more than you did well and besides the fact that it was predictable it just feels like they're they're doing their darndest to make the plot advance as slowly as humanly possible which i which (laughs) is frustrating because they've only got six episodes left so that that aspect was a little bit frustrating the preview for next week does look potentially intriguing though yeah, I also uh, am not necessarily. I can't decide how I feel about the fact that they're the the one person that they have trained to keep the sub running uh, is it just happens to be the spy. Uh, yes. Um, that I can't decide if that just seems too convenient or if it makes sense because the, as the spy, she would go out of her way to ingratiate herself with the captain and to try to become as indispensable as possible. You know, like yeah. Yeah, it does make sense, but it is also very, yeah, you're right, it's kind of, eh. <laughs> but, you know, it also could make for some intriguing drama if they end up sort of pl- being coy about what her allegiances are and what she'll do in a, in a bind, et cetera, et cetera. There, there are some interesting possibilities there. There's, it's a very Sean Ryan-y move. Um, yeah. I'm but, liking the girls in DC. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just great to see them sort of very aggressively plotting, and although I, I, I actually felt bad for the guy. <laughs> by the end, <laughs> which I was not expecting. I might have if he hadn't been trying to keep her from her husband. I mean, dick move. Yeah, but... that's true. Hey, you got you got you got to pay the bills, man. Yeah. Anyways, uh, any <laughs> any any further thoughts? I feel like it's gonna start really kicking up the speed once we get to uh, where they knew that they were gonna get canceled. Yeah. Um. And hopefully that's soon. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I I already feel like it's probably my least favorite Sean Ryan show, but it's still fun. Like it's still got some aspects to recommend it, but it definitely doesn't live up to quite his standard of usual excellence. And that takes us to Sunday, which had our our second to last week, uh, third to last leg of the Amazing Race twenty one. Um, what did you think? You're still in the lead, but uh, it, we both got a fabulous zero points this week. <laughs> So uh, you're sitting at 60. I'm I'm now. I went from third place to I think I'm in fifth place, and uh, I can still catch up to you though because there are 55 points in the offing next week. Not to mention our 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 overall pick points that could come into play. 
what do you think of this episode and how are you feeling about your chances uh oh my my chances are excellent in fact there is no way on earth i can lose Ah. Uh, even even if you think the math works out in your favor it doesn't because god is on my side anyway um yeah i was really disappointed when when i i mean i guess you saw it coming because you've seen more amazing race than i have but I was disappointed when it turned out to be a non-elimination leg because I, I thought Natalie and Nadia going out would have been a really great shocker and they decided that it didn't matter. So that was a little disappointing. I was actually sort of hoping the entire episode was going to be them just chilling it in Barcelona, <laughs> which is kind of how it looked for a minute because they got there and then they spent like a significant chunk of the episode on it. And it, it occurred to me that if I'd been in this amazing race, I would have been like, hey, guys, so we're all together and we can get the next flight to wherever it is we're going. Why don't we just do that tomorrow? <laughs> like, why don't we just take an extra day and just chill out here and not tell the producers? Oh no, the flight was filled up. Oh, oh we, we missed our the tickets got ferry. burnt up. There's only yeah. one of oh, them a no. day. <laughs> Let's go to the beach again. Yeah, like seriously, I just went out to get a conference room, like some big room in a hotel, so that everybody can see each other, so you know nobody's screwing anybody over, and just sleep. They must be exhausted. <laughs> yeah. But, or or just or like oh we, there's the next checkpoint and or you know like oh it says the next checkpoint is five miles out and then they just all like saunter there <laughs> just hey let's uh, let's just take it easy it's totally a non-elimination round it's gotta be right so let's just not I will say I was rather disappointed in the the twenties who are my current pick first of all the big men's are not allowed to win because I had them and I dropped them so that's why they're not allowed <laughs> to win because I will feel like an idiot for not sticking with them. Um, but I was very disappointed in the 20s. Are you kidding me? That windmill thing was ridiculously easy. They, and they managed to screw it up. But I and I'm sure the stick shift thing was frustrating for you to watch. Well, the stick shift thing, that's like, you know, because, of course, anybody who watches The, the Amazing Race with any amount of regularity, you, you have to create your own fantasy league where you're like, okay, who amongst my family and friends would make the best team? And then if I was going to be in the race, what would I have to do? And my big thing is... First of all, I'm afraid of heights, so that would be interesting. But my thing is I would need to learn how to drive stick because it always ends up coming up. This is something that I first just, you know, decided upon watching Real World Road Rules Challenge forever ago when they had to move a bunch of cars and there were a bunch of stick shifts and a bunch of teams were screwed. I was like, okay, got to learn stick shift if I'm, if I'm ever on a reality show. Uh, but I, I really appreciated the twins' uh mentality at the end where they're like you know what if we lose this is our fault because we made a bunch of stupid mistakes i really mm -hmm. appreciated that approach when we've seen several teams just this season alone yell at cab drivers or random persons on the street for delaying them any amount of time and quote costing them a million dollars we saw that with at least two teams this season and it's just ridiculous so uh so it was nice to at least see that element of it. Uh, they appears they're all going to be pretty much evened out again uh, next week. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm just trying to figure out who to – because if, if I should bet based on what I want to happen, based on what I think will happen, or based on what will let me win the pool if it goes the right way. Right. So what do you what do you think will happen? What do I think will happen? I, th uh, I think that the, the Chippendales have a really good shot um, just because they seem to have uh, – uh, very level heads and they really have motivation you know with their with the the one James's fam, uh, father being sick but also because they're they do well they, you know they're very positive they keep moving they're in excellent physical condition but also they're really good at interacting with people and getting people to help them um, I think the uh, the Beekmans are probably the next smartest you know they approach things in the smartest way but then 
they make very silly mistakes where they get lost or they just look at something the wrong way and get confused. So uh, I, I would be surprised if they win. Trey and Lexi have, have been pretty reliable, so they could pull it out. And the Twins either will have a good day or a bad day. So right now, I, if, I, if I was betting actual money, I would put it on James and James. But then if, if the, the then things will happen, like Lexi will hurt a widow finger. Are you kidding? Did you see that? It was bleeding all down the side, and it was getting that. I, I don't. I did actually think. Are you kidding me? You didn't trim your nails. You went into this thing with nails. Why would you do that? Then again, I'm also a violinist, and so we're not allowed to have nails. And so whenever I see anybody with like any sort of a nail, I wonder how they even use their fingers. So, uh, yeah. No, I, I did actually think about that for a moment. But no, that looked painful, and she sucked it up, and they got there in first place. I was gonna say, if yeah, they, that's true. If they didn't get there in first place, and it was her if it was him i'd be pissed at her for slowing them down but if i was her i would be pissed for having endured the the pain and not gotten the the trip yeah i mean i work in a kitchen so i guess i'm just used to these things well you, well i mean you you watch cooking shows they're always like ah damn it this really hurts and then they they suck it up and Keep they going. You know, yeah. figure it out and she did too but the, the some of the challenges were just i mean come on two minutes was clearly way too much time for that bowl for the challenge bowl thing, yeah it was that was ridiculous if it had actually been like a one minute challenge i think it would have been harder and then it could have been interesting um or if they had had to like wait a certain amount of time between trying but the windmill thing seemed really straightforward that was really straightforward the demon thing looked really cool but they didn't actually there was no challenge to it and i guess nobody got lost so maybe if people had gotten lost that would have added more drama but uh mm-hmm. i don't know so who, what are you predicting not uh, what you well, want to happen, but what do you think will happen? Oh, what, what I think will happen and what I want to happen and what will actually happen is that James and James, my team, who I've been with for quite a while, they were not my first pick. I don't think anyone got to stick with their first pick um, in the pool, that is. No, no. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're my pick. They've been for a while. They will win. I will win all of the points and the race and everyone's respect and admiration. Who, who are you putting in second and third, though? Because that's 15 points right there. Um, I'll think about it. I hadn't actually looked at the pool or how it's structured yet, so I, I hadn't had occasion to think about that. But I'm sure whatever I choose will also be correct. <laughs> well, last year Mario did come from behind. He was in last place, and he won based on his picks in the finale. So we'll see what happens with the pool. Um, next we have Bob's Burgers, Tinaranosaurus Rex. Uh, this this was fun. I forgot. Oh, it was driving me nuts the whole time. I wanted to see. Who was the voice actor who did the insurance? Bob Odenkirk, dude. I knew it. Okay. I was sitting here, and I was like, I feel like it was Bob Odenkirk, but I couldn't place it while I was watching it, and I knew I should. Like that, that always happens with Bob's Burgers. Um, mm-hmm. But he was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, what did you think about uh, Bob's Burgers and their Tina-centric episode? I, I like Tina-centric episodes. I love Tina. I think she's an amazing character. And I thought this 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 played to her strengths really well. I have to say, I think the hardest I laughed at anything this week, including actual life, was her vision of hell jail, <laughs> where she's fed her lies every day. <laughs> Uh, that was that was fantastic. Uh, I, also, I feel like this is the only show ever that can get away with like a, a silly keyboard sampler tune about diarrhea th- over the over the credits and not have you cringing. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was another solid Bob's outing. They they really can do no wrong at this point. Yeah, everybody needs to be watching Bob's Burgers. It just did wins. And, and- and people actually are. Like, I noticed it. it's pretty much tying in the ratings with the Cleveland show, which is like, hey, it's doing as well as Seth MacFarlane stuff. That's good enough for me. I'll take it. We're used to championing shows that nobody watches. Yes. 
<coughs> Treme. Um, <laughs> but so, uh, yes. Next on study we had Good Wife, Battle of the Proxies, and yeah, it was another guest star Palooza. Um, but I, I actually kind of enjoyed the. It was very. Um, it was very obviously set up to be this way, but the, the four-way lawyering was it was pretty fun. Stephen Root was fun. And then I got to geek out about Silty Claylome, uh, which was just a special little spot of joy that I'm sure nobody else experienced. But uh, I, I had a lot of fun with this week's episode uh, of The Good Wife, and especially that turn at the very end. Uh, what did you think? <laughs> uh, well, it was a w- weird episode. I, I felt like they tried to make hay out of Oh, if we help the the guy who's innocent, we'll or, sorry. If we screw the guy who's innocent, we'll help the guy who's guilty, et cetera, et cetera. And then it just kind of got shrugged off at the end of the episode. Ah, there's always appeal. Like, oh, okay. So then, why were you talking about it for the entire episode? Well, I thought the more was going to be made of the fact that both men were convicted. Yes. That doesn't like so that clearly, like, you know, I, I was expect I was waiting for someone to go, come on. But I, obviously that, that, that'll come up in appeal. Would you be interested in seeing the appeal for this? Or do you want the show to move on? I, I don't, I don't think the show generally doesn't return to cases and I don't think it should. I think it's better that it does something new every week or most weeks, at least the, uh, obviously we, uh, we, we were, we were chatting while you were watching the episode and you mentioned Nick Savarese and I was like, Oh, how long is this going on for? Uh, I guess it's not going on any longer. <laughs> now, did I got the impression watching this that perhaps they were originally going to have a different end of the episode and it was going to be the Battle of the Wills was going to continue, but instead they're like, let's and cut, <laughs> end scene, there, <laughs> and then we can just not, he can just be gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have to mention the, the, uh, the, uh, the AV Club write-up for this episode basically started off with, and Poochie died on his way back to his home planet. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, that that was very much the feeling. It was almost awkward, to be honest. But hey, whatever gets rid of the gets rid of the character is fine by me. The uh, the, the I, when you were talking about twists that you called uh, uh, when we were chatting about this episode, I assume you were referring to Jackie being the one who yeah. did the condom searching, which probably would have occurred to me if it was something I ever wanted to think about. Well, because I was like, what could be the most awkward thing? Which of the kids would make for a more uh, awkward conversation? Like, you know what would make for the most hilarious conversation? Jackie. <laughs> and then I, that's so, that had occurred to me early on and was, uh, that was pretty great. I also, I just love the conversation with both of the kids and, and uh, especially the son. I was like, I would just scrub the search so you could never find out. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> So that was fun. It was, and I again, I'm enjoying having the kids as more of a presence. Um, I don't really care about the Eli stuff. No, I don't. Eli is almost as hard to write for as Kalinda. Mm-hmm. He, it, you know, he, he's fun when he's bouncing off walls and and sort of handling a crisis. But when it comes to his own storylines, I'm almost never interested. Now, I, are you missing Nathan Lane at all? Uh, I hadn't. No, actually, it hadn't even occurred to me. To be honest, he's he's great when he's there, but the thing is, Good Wife is such an abundance of riches that I don't really think about when there's one character not present. Touche. Yeah, it's, it, I feel like this was a solid episode, maybe not their best ever, but I was just so happy to see Stephen Root back. Jane Alexander, uh, as well as the other judge, was pretty great, so I, I had fun. Now I hear we're, things are really kicking up over at Boardwalk Empire? Well, it, they had their finale this week, and I don't ever talk about Boardwalk Empire because I feel like I always return to the same talking point where... I feel like it's a good show, but for all the money and prestige on the screen, it should really be five times the show that it is. And 
and what all, what I feel like this also happened last season, but at least this season, the last few weeks, like the the run up to this finale, has featured some really strong episodes that are really above average for the show and sort of hint at maybe, uh, that that maybe the show could launch itself into a, a higher plateau. And I, I I do want that to happen, but I feel like this finale sort of explained why it can't, and sort sort of why it's stuck in in this mentality of this is a mob story and really nothing else. Because you know the, the the opening bit of this episode just goes a whole lot broader than the than the last few have and sort of expands the the scope in terms of violence and staging, but actually weakens the show as a result. Not not too dissimilar actually from what happened on Walking Dead this week, if, if you ask me. But uh, it did feature some really strong scenes, but most of them were um, as on Walking Dead actually. Most of them were character based. So the the stuff with uh, Rossetti and and Gretchen Maul, obviously that whole sequence was the clear highlight of the episode. Stuff with Richard Harrow was great. Everything else was pretty much what you expected. So that was a little disappointing. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a it was a fine season with some with some highlights. But I, I still feel like Boardwalk Empire still isn't quite as good as I would like it to be. Um, rank the seasons for me. Is this the best? This is in the middle. Where does this one fall? Honestly, this was probably the best season, but I'm going to attribute that mostly to the, um, I mean, Bobby Cannavale was a big part of that because he was just so great. And I do feel like it was a bit more consistent than last season, but it's, it's not, it's not a huge pole vault over previous seasons, I don't think. Okay. Well, you mentioned The Walking Dead. We should say, of course, we have the San Jose Walking Dead podcast where the two of us, as well as Ricky D, uh, review each of the episodes the day after and hopefully get the episode up. So hopefully that'll be up before you even are hearing this. It's up at Sound on Sight as well as, of course, in the iTunes feed for the Televerse, both the M4A and the MP3 feed. So we talk for you know 30 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that, about this finale and uh, Made to Suffer as the episode and had a little bit of a difference of opinion, uh, but it was it was still fun. So you can check that out at Sound on Sight. Um, and then our last show, I'm going to skip the voice this week, just kind of weigh in once we get to the final episode, because uh, I feel like I'm just repeating myself a lot. So uh, well, I'm going to skip that this week. So our final show of the week is going to actually be Homeland and Broken Hearts. Uh, lots of Twitter uh, on this. Lots of Twitter talk. What did you think? You know, I, I, it's almost not fair, because Homeland's given us so many great God, John, Floor, WTF moments that when it pulls out a minor jaw, slightly open, okay moments, we we, we kind of we, we feel like oh you can do better, which is you know it, it's not entirely fair. So you know the ending here with with Walden and Brody, there are some really great beats in that scene, and some not so great beats. But you know for, for a lesser show, that would be a huge scene. And for this show, it's like, oh, okay, that's where they went with this. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, um, I usually watch a Homeland a little later than Twitter because there's so much to watch on Sundays. Um, and, uh, and so I managed to not be followed, be, uh, not be spoiled because everybody that I follow is awesome and doesn't do that. I know some other people were not so lucky. But I did get the sense that this was a big episode or that there was something you know, there's a twist or something significant that happened. And so by the time I actually watched the episode, I was very underwhelmed um, because it didn't seem that surprising. Like you said, Homeland has done much bigger, crazier things. And so that makes something that would be the most uh, shocking element of, of a different series feel utterly mundane. And that's what this felt to me, felt like to me. Uh, the highlight for me actually in this episode was, was Carrie talking with Nazir 
Um, and, and I love, though, first of all, let's be honest, there's no way she wouldn't be blindfolded. That seemed very strange. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I kept waiting for her to have seen something that saves, saves the day, uh, just cause it felt so, so out of place and weird. Um, but I did enjoy their conversation just because the, the, the fact that they are, they just go back and forth with, uh, him sticking with his ideology and, and her calling him on the bullshit of it. I, I really enjoyed that. So, um, we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, they didn't do the trucker who pulls over is also one of Nazir's guys thing that I was. Oh, yeah, that would have been good. Anticipating. I mean, that would have been terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say that I, I feel like as as the season goes on, there there keeps be, being little credibility issues for me. And the latest one for me is, and it hadn't occurred to me before. I it, it seems like the whole uh, Estes not wanting to get the drone strike out thing means he's also willing to take people out to keep the secret. And I'm sorry, but that do- that doesn't hold water for me. Drone Why? strikes kill innocent. Yeah. Drone strikes kill innocent people every day. I don't really see that the story of this one coming out would be so catastrophic for everyone. Yeah. Well, and and just the um, I feel like it's been more of a failure of tone for me. The the direction and, and some of the the performances just here and there, just the the tone of of Estes and Quinn in in uh, their some of their conversations he knows it just felt really melodramatic and um didn't really fit how about f murray abraham should we mention him yeah it was so great to see him and Patekin together they didn't get much to do but it was a nice little scene yeah we'll see i would love for more of that but i i, I don't know i feel like maybe that's down the line it does look like next week they're going to address the mole issue it's got it when the the computer tech came back we already know he's a mole right i feel like do we know that, or did I just assume that at some point? I don't remember. I, I, I've lost interest in the mole. I, when he came back, I was like, oh yeah, isn't he working with the bad guys? <laughs> but I don't I don't know why I thought that. So please, if you know why I thought that, listeners, please enlighten me. Um, but that, uh, we have just a couple more episodes to go with Homeland. A few more, that is. Um, and we'll see if they can end on as strong of a note as they did as they did last year. Before we go to our DVD shelf with uh, Tom Griffin of the Paul Goebel Show talking about Robotech, a few show notes here at the end. We have uh, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. Of course, we'll have a post up at soundinsight.org about this uh, about this podcast. You can leave us comments there. We would love to hear from you, or you can leave us comments in iTunes. Pretty please. It would be lovely to get a new rating or review. Um, we have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed. And our question of the week, as we already discussed, were were school dances important in your household? <laughs> oh, that was sort of a jokey. Question oh come of the week. on! I like that question. Of the... Fine. Okay. What's your What's the real question of the week? Well, I, I, you know what? I'd be curious to know what everyone's favorite episode of 2012 is. Hmm. One of those uh, lists that might be coming for us. Yeah. Re- regardless of of whether it's your favorite show of the year, I'm curious about favorite individual episodes. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so let us know there. You can also reach us uh, at, by email, theteleverse at gmail.com, or on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? I'm at Sucker Howell. And now we'll listen to a little clip and take a break and come back with Tom Griffin at the Paul Global Show to talk our second ever anime at the DVD shelf, uh, Robotech. On board the giant spaceship, the crew of raw recruits freshly graduated from the Robotech Academy is busy with the pre-launch checklist. Manual 
You jealous? I had a late dinner with Commander Foker. Claudia! What? You stayed out all night knowing you both had flight duty today. So? What's the big fuss about, Lisa? We won't let it affect the performance of our duty. After all, we're not children and you're not our mother. Your responsibilities to the ship come first, Claudia. But my private life is my business. Nobody else's. Now then, let's get to work, all right? Get out of here. Lisa doesn't understand about men, Claudia. She's in love with this spaceship. Yeah, yeah you got that right. Oh, don't argue. I'm oh. not the one who keeps butting into everybody's business. Uh, I'm warning you. I hate to interrupt, huh? but hadn't you better check your monitor, Commander? It's an unidentified oh. incoming aircraft, Lisa. Attention aircraft approaching on course 107. Please identify yourself. Please identify yourself. This is Rick Hunter, invitation number 201. That's confirmed as an invitation from Lieutenant Commander Foker. Follow course 57 for landing. Roger. Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are excited to welcome Tom Griffin from The Paul Goebel Show to help us talk about our second ever anime. In this case, it's Robotech, which was uh, aired over here in, I believe, 1985 and uh, was one of the earliest, more serious animes to, to make it to American shores. Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, and yourself? Uh, good. Excited to talk about one of my childhood obsessions. So why Robotech? Um, well, Robotech, like I said, I watched Robotech um, when I was a kid. I was around nine years old when it first aired in 85, 86. And it was um, striking, especially compared. It was a contemporary of shows like G.I. Joe and Transformers, those sort of classic 80s American adventure shows, which were fun and colorful. But Robotech was kind of a different animal, and it made a huge impression on me and a lot of other kids who watched it around the same time. It's uh, it it was far more serious um, in a lot of ways than the the other shows. Um, like in a, a, a show like GI Joe, if a plane blew up, they always made sure to show you a parachute so that you knew that the the guy survived. On Robotech, if a plane blew up, that guy was dead, and that was always very clear. And that was that was kind of a revelation at the time for a lot of uh, childhood viewers. That, that that when planes blow up, people die, or just that this was a story that was going to be honest about that. You know, it was a it was essentially a war story. But it had a uh, anti-war bent, and it was very clear about uh, the costs and horrors of war. Yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting. One of the first things that our protagonist, at least for the first third, and we'll talk about the structure of Robotech a, a bit here, I'm sure, moving forward. But one of the f very first things that our protagonist says in the first episode is about how he hates war and he thinks the army are all warmongers and they just like killing people. And so there's a really clear, you know, for a show that's going to be set around the military it's actually kind of surprising how quickly they establish a war is not good but we're going to do it anyways and we're kind of going to glorify it but then we're going to say it's bad it's kind of you know it's interesting it's, it's yeah it's more of a complex message than most shows especially at that time we're conveying yeah especially on uh compared to a show like gi joe where it's ostensibly about a military unit fighting terrorists but it's all wacky hijinks <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rotec was was very something. Di- it was something very different and very distinct. And I'm 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 not sure that there's been a lot on American TV, you know, aimed at a child audience that that compares that much. Maybe a show like uh, Exo Squad or the um, Starship Troopers shows, but I'm not that familiar with those. But yeah, Robotech it, it has a it's a unique place in pop culture because of that. I think. Yeah, well, and it's I mean, unfortunately I'm very unfamiliar with this realm of of Saturday morning cartoons. As, as some Televerse listeners will uh, will remember, my my strain of Saturday morning cartoons were, was like Batman the Animated Series and that kind of stuff. So I I haven't seen very many mecha uh, shows or or uh, very much anime in general, uh, let alone this sort of specific kind of setting. Simon, had you seen any uh, Robotech before? No, my, my only experience with mecha style anime was with uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which has a little bit more molestation and <laughs> and psychological trauma than this does. That's one of my favorites as an adult, but yeah, that's a, a considerably more adult than even Robotech. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it, this. I kind of feel like is the kids' dry run for it, it. You know, one is the childhood version, the other is the adulthood version. Uh, they've they've got a, a lot in common. Yeah, it, on it, with some DNA. I, I always have a strange time whenever we do a DVD shelf, and it's someone else's childhood favorite because it it always feels a little bit voyeury, and 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 also you're watching things as an adult that you're never really meant to watch for the first time as an adult. You're 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 meant to get acquainted with these things as a it's kid. It's certainly a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I I I definitely did enjoy. Like I I probably watched about four or five episodes from the first set, and four or five from the third. And there's quite a bit. There's quite a bit of mythology separating uh, each each series, including new sets of characters, which is quite disorienting. Well, let's talk a little bit about that structure. It is <laughs> mm-hmm. when when reading up about, you know, about the show on Wikipedia, it's kind of hilarious. So they 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 took three completely separate series. Um, from Japan, I believe. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and as I understand it, these shows have very little, if anything, related to each other at all. Yeah, the original series were not narratively related at all. They were from the same production company, Tatsunoko, I believe, and they had some visual similarities in style, and they have like transforming robots in common. But they were not originally narr- uh, narratively um, related at all, and they were all the American rights to the, sh- the shows were all owned by Harmony Gold. But all, all three of those shows were the original shows were um, Super Dimension Fortress Macross, uh, Super Dimension Cavalry, Southern Cross, and Genesis, Genesis Climber Mos Pieta. All of them were too short to get onto American TV on their own. I think at the time you needed 65 episodes uh, to put together a syndication package. So a producer by the name of Carl Masick decided to combine them. Um, into one series, and rather than just slap a brand name on them and present it as an anthology, he rewrote them and gave them narrative connections and presented them as three successive interstellar wars with three successive generations of humans. But there are there's a reason why the second war happens after the first one and the third one happens after the second one. So he created this sign of epic out of what were originally three separate series. Well, and it was, it was really fun for me to read up about the actual original series and the plot lines and then to compare it to what was going on in the in the show uh in robotech you know mm-hmm. the the replotting and, and actually i would love to talk about some of the uh this the dialogue and scripting because some of it <laughs> is just hilarious uh if you are more of the intolerant towards bad 
anti-feminist writing, maybe don't watch the show because <laughs> there's a lot of really kind of terrible, uh, uh, terribly written female characters. Um, but they are kind of hilarious at times as well. And and I thought it was really interesting because they did bring in American writers to, to craft this like larger overarching story. It, it seemed like the first chunk, the first series was hewed pretty closely to the original plot. And then for the second and third, like the second one, the original doesn't actually take place on Earth at all. It's on a completely different right. planet. Yeah. And, and so I, I thought that was actually really interesting to see where they kept the same story and where they where they uh, completely changed it. Um, and, and I think it has, you know, it's from what I saw, at least some are more successful than others. At, at the way that they they adapt to, to, to kind of fit into this overarching story. But uh, let's talk about, just because I, I'm, I'm me, so I got to talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about the ladies. Uh, yes. Yeah, because what I thought was interesting is you see a lot, there's a lot of female characters. They are almost exclusively in positions of command authority. Uh, and yet they'll go from being these people who are characters who are supposed to be like the lieutenants, like, you know, officers and leaders in leadership things to to pausing for what feels like a straight out of the 60s secretary pool break coffee break <laughs> to talk about the men in their lives and how defined they are by them yeah it is it is interesting because i um they they certainly do fall into some tropes um like that that are that probably have a lot to do with the time and a lot to do with uh the show originating in japan but like you said, they are the the characters are largely military officers. They are largely um, in positions of command, and their competency as officers is never in question. There, uh, many of the the and it, even in in combat positions, the many of the top combat officers in the series are women. One of the top aces of the first cycle is a woman. Uh, one of the, the top ace in the second cycle is a woman. One of the primary fighters in the third cycle is a woman, and that's never commented on um, as a, a message or taken as unusual. It's simply presented as as, as a fact. The uh, the exception to all this is Min May as in, Min the, in, in, the, in the first <laughs> the series. Very huge kind of shrill <laughs> exception. Exception to that is Min May. Min May is oh, an interesting. Wow character and a little hard to take and she i think she's supposed to be a little hard to take but she's actually a lot hard to take <laughs> especially at the the end of the first she's in the first arc or the first i think it's like 30 oh man the last episode. episode of that first arc is hilarious it's just terrible she's she's crying about how she doesn't want her her fighter pilot boyfriend to leave her and how could he dare leave her to go save the world and then he comes back and 30, 30 seconds, and, oh, and she wants to get married, and they can leave all this. She can leave her giant pop stardom behind, and he can leave his fighter piloting behind, and they can have a normal life, and she really wants it. And then 30 seconds later, it's like, oh, no, actually, I realized I don't either. You love her, right? Yeah, I thought you did. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you, uh, admittedly, I don't think there was ever a Saturday morning cartoon that, that did justice to the complexities of human romance, but... I did also enjoy there. There are a few scenes of her actually being a pop star, which are invariably hilarious. Also, yeah, yeah. The it, it, the Minmay's pop stardom is actually a huge plot point in that first cycle too, because the the enemy aliens in that um, first cycle are completely militaristic in their own culture. They don't have any kind of civilian culture. They don't have music or arts, and uh, they have no idea what to make of Minmay. She's clearly important to the human culture, but they don't understand her role at all. And they kind of become infatuated with her. Um, so men may end up, end up, ends up kind of becoming a weapon against the enemy aliens, which is uh, strange and hilarious, but uh, 
kind of an artifact of the time, I guess. Well, and also yeah. I think it's interesting that this role did launch the original voice artist into pop stardom <laughs> in yes. Japan. And so that's kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting art, uh, life paralleling art. Uh, but I, aside from Minmay, that is, you know, I, I would, it's just so, so interesting to see that, that to see all of these, you know, this is the eighties to see badass fighter pilots who are women but then the moment they talk about something that isn't, you know, being a fighter pilot, being a fighter pilot, they become <laughs> completely incompetent and emotionally, just complete emotional idiots. Yeah, it is. It does. Uh, it, it it definitely has some soap opera elements, and um, it helps that uh, I, to a certain extent that a lot of the characters are very young. Minmay is very young. She's clearly a teenager when it starts. Um, Dana in the second cycle is very young. Well, all the main the, the the three main characters are women in that, as I right as I recall, and um, they're all like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, something like that. Yeah, I think in the second one, um, Marie Crystal, the pilot, is maybe a little bit younger because she's portrayed as a little bit more experienced, at least militarily. But yeah, none of the characters, all the characters are generally young people, and none of them are are, are, are generally um, have it together in their romantic lives. The exception maybe is Claudia Grant in the first one, who was the girlfriend um, of Roy Foker. And of course their uh, relationship has a tragic ending. Yeah. Let's talk about that. The, the, that was one of the episodes that, uh, that you recommended that we check out farewell, big brother. Uh, I did find it hilarious that the character name in the original is, is uh, Fokker. And when they brought it over, they changed the spelling and made sure that they pronounced it Foker. <laughs> to alleviate any parental concerns that could arise. Um, but yeah, they do establish this, uh, this really tight relationship with two of the, uh, two of the main lead characters. And then, you know, the character gets killed and he stays dead for the most part. Yeah. And it's a shocking death too. Um, Cause it's just out of nowhere. You think he's fine. And then it's something straight out of Joss Whedon, I swear. Yeah, it kind <laughs> of is. It's a little, it's a little weedy, and I, I have a very clear uh, uh, memories of watching that episode as a, as a kid, and just being numb for the rest of the night, just being stunned by that. It was, uh, it was quite shocking. That and Optimus Prime are probably dying in the Transformers movie are probably the two like great pop culture traumas mm -hmm. of my childhood. For the things that haven't been brought up yet, the aspects of the show that I found the most enjoyable were some of the. Some of the sort of fringe aesthetic benefits, for instance, we get this amazing, at least in the first series, we get this amazing orchestral scoring that's just absolutely insane, and clearly they didn't skip on, which I really enjoyed. And I, and I also dig the super pulpy, very enthusiastic opening and closing narration. Or mid-episode narration. <laughs> oh, yeah, sometimes mid-episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the narrator's great, and I especially love the, the way he always um, uh, calls it a robot technology. <laughs> Yeah, the I I do have to also comment on the score. I love the score in the and particularly in the first of the third of, of the three sections, and uh, I also love that time to time they're like, you know what? You, it's almost like you can see the note from the you know the creators saying we want something that's kind of like Ride of the Valkyries, and, <laughs> and they just go, you know, what, screw it, we're just going to use Ride of the Valkyries, and I love it because it's a, it has an iconic place in not just music but also film of course from apocalypse now and you you play ride of the valkyries and if someone is illiterate, they're going to immediately picture helicopters and machines and war so I, I love that they aren't afraid to just you know what go with what we all know is the best thing for right here 
Yeah, it, 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 the series is known for its for its uh, use of music, um, for both for its original score and particularly for its extremely cheesy pop songs, which are, <laughs> which are fun if you if you can appreciate that they're extremely cheesy pop songs. Another uh, another thing I really enjoyed, and I think would have I would have doubly enjoyed as a kid had I watched it at the time, is at the very end of the series. Generally, when you have alien human wars that end in truces or at least not in total destruction especially in children's entertainment, it's usually like, oh, we understand each other. We can cohabitate in peace. Whereas here, it's more like the alien saying, hey, humans are assholes. Let's leave. <laughs> Which yeah, I the, really liked. The humans are so crazy that they're about to nuke their own planet rather than let the aliens have control of it. So the aliens eventually say, all right, these guys, we can't deal with these guys. We're going to have to go somewhere else. Well, and as you mentioned earlier, Tom, there are certain tropes that do pop up, and the Earth gets destroyed three times. There are three, like, nuclear holocaust kind of, or you right, know, giant yeah. destructions of the entire planet over the course of this. I also love that there's, like, this the plant, the was it the flower of life? The flower of life. Just also, there's, so there's a biological just sort of takeover of the planet, and then that is immediately followed by another invasion. Earth cannot get a break. Yeah, there aren't that there aren't that many kid shows that throws around the word Holocaust quite so much. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it, yeah. There, the body count in this show is huge, and it's and it's 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 really dark if you stop to think about it. And yeah, the Earth gets its ass kicked successively three times, and at the end of it, you're kind of left wondering, well, what was all, all that about? Um, because a lot of it, because it was an alien, it was essentially uh, somebody else's war that came to Earth, and then Earth got caught in the middle of it and gets terribly, terribly destroyed. Well, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe we actually ever find out that much, or the, the people who whose ship crash-landed on Earth and then mm. ended up sparking all of this, uh, we we get answers about, like, why, the, you know, what's going on, what the struggle's all about, it all comes back to this protoculture, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we actually deal with the original race whose ship was the one that started everything. Um, yeah, the details are sparse in the series itself. They've been explored in, in like the novels and comics and whatnot. Um, but yeah, basically, I mean, the, in a, in the gist of it is the, there was a, uh, a race called the Robotech Masters. They discover a race called the Invid and the Invid have a symbiotic relationship with this flower of life. And the Robotech Masters dis discover that the flower of life is an incredible energy source and they basically steal it. And then the Invid militarize and come back to get their flowers. And the, the so there's a, a long-standing war between the Robotech Masters and the Invid. And the, the Masters create a slave race of, of giants, the Zentradi, who are the enemies of the first series to help them fight the Invid. So everything that happens is basically because the Robotech Masters stole the Invid's miracle plants. Yeah. Well, and, and I love that, that that that's not the point. And I think there are, you know, one of the things I most enjoy about uh, sort of over, like I overanalyze everything, overanalyzing animes, the seeing, you know, the, the reactions and, and the themes that seem to pop up that many, I feel like often there's a tie back to World War Two, And so that's why I like, like you see in the first part of this, there's often like the, the military leader who's saying we shouldn't do this fight. But there's the politicians saying, yes, we should. And so the country gets drawn into this, you know, re reluctantly gets drawn into this battle. And you also get this sort of um, this, you know, this, this post-apocalyptic and, uh, yeah, I don't. I, there's there are a lot of themes that that you know here in, in this story that I think are really interesting, but it's all underneath this 
very at times very silly, completely <laughs> just you know, like I there were episodes I was watching this going like, did we just spend this entire episode in a flashback about two characters that are never going to come back? Yes, we did, and then there was just a fight, a space battle at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was fun, but you know, so so I think it's interesting that you do have all these you know themes going on underneath if you want to look for them, but for the most part, this is. We're talking Saturday morning cartoon, just with a little darker edge. Yeah, very much a darker edge. And like you said, there is a fair amount of politics involved. And that was also an interesting thing about it, Um, like with the politician ordering the ship into battle, even though the captain thinks the ship isn't ready. Um, And then, you know, the and one of the uh, another one thing that's interesting about it is that the humans don't completely understand the technology that they're trying to use. It's the only technology that they've reclaimed. And 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 that leads them to making mistakes and the mistakes often have a huge cost. Um, the they act when the ship tries to use its its like warp capability it actually it accidentally brings a city with them in, out into space and then they have to bring all the civilians from from that city on board and so now this military ship has a, a city's worth of civilians living in it that they didn't count on and when they get back to earth they want to unload those civilians but all the cities on earth know that this ship is a lightning rod in the war and aren't willing to let them land to unload the civilians so you have this whole you have like 20,000 civilians trapped on the ship in the middle of the war that they can't do anything with and that's a that's certainly a more sophisticated plot point than you would than again you would have seen in GI Joe which takes me to one of the things the shows that i kept thinking of when i was watching this uh was Battlestar Galactica uh, and uh, not not necessarily even the 2003 version. Uh, there are elements that feel very Battlestar Galactica 1980. Even just the way that the ships, some of the ships launch, and I believe it's the second part. There's this there's a launch sequence that we see that looks just like the Vipers coming out. Um, so I don't know who was influencing who because depending on when the original Battlestar Galactica came out. Um, but there there are also there's definite uh, star Star Wars references. There's a hologram that is really significant to the protagonist of the third. But I did really enjoy kind of seeing some of these different, uh, for me at least, uh, sci-fi touchstones come mm-hmm. into play. Yeah, and I think I'd, certainly the original series um, in Japan were probably influenced by by Star Wars and other um, and other sci-fi. And I think Robotech itself has been influential. Um, amongst probably sci-fi creators in the U.S. So I think it is part of that continuum. Um, well, and it's there... certainly a big part of the continuum of anime fandom in the U.S. You know, in the 80s, anime fandom was still largely a cult thing. It was still largely underground. There was a growing awareness. But Robotech was a gateway for a lot of young people, myself and a lot of people in my generation. Robotech was the first time that we kind of realized, hey, this is, this is from somewhere else, and there's something very interesting happening over there. And so Robotech and, and, and Carl Masick, the guy who's, who's largely given credit for creating it, were very important in, in um, raising awareness and launching the – and so, sort of setting up the, the anime boom in the 90s. But they're also very controversial because of the kind of Frankenstein monster nature of it. A lot of people – a lot of the, the purists really hate Carl Masick for what he did to these shows. But without them, you know, anime fandom in the U.S. might not be what it is. Hmm. I, I also noticed that in 2007, there was some proposed live-action film version of Robotech that never got off the ground with Tobey Maguire. <laughs> yes, uh, and it, it never happened, but they're still talking about it as if it is happening. So it may there may still be a live-action Robotech, and Tobey Maguire is attached as a producer. I don't know if he would be 
involved as an actor, but better or worse than Keanu Reeves as Akira. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Well, definitely. But I'm gonna have to go with better, only because that can't be any worse. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, uh, are there any uh, final thoughts? Do we want to say uh, which of the three we enjoyed the most, or favorite characters, or favorite episodes? Uh, Simon, I'll start with you. I have to say, from what I saw, the first series had the most sort of hilarious sort of hindsight value of what they were trying for at the time. But I, but I don't want to undermine anything you were saying about how the the, the themes and, and some aspects of the execution are quite interesting and, and maybe even a little bit daring. I've always been partial to the first saga. I like all three sagas, but the the first one, the Macross saga, is the one that's always spoken to me the most. The look of it, the characters... Um, um, and that episode, like I said, that episode eight, uh, farewell, big brother was just devastating to me when I was a kid. It made a, a huge impression on me. Um, I guess I'll, it was really interesting watching this for me because, you know, I was, I was jumping around because I knew I wouldn't have time to watch anywhere near as many as perhaps I might like. So I caught some of the beginning, some of the middle, some of the end. Uh, and so trying to keep track of the characters and where the, especially the emotional entanglements were at any given <laughs> moment was really quite entertaining. Um, but I, I guess for characters, I, um, I don't know their names, but I did enjoy that sort of trio in the first series uh, that are, they've been, my cloned right or they, they're the micronized yeah the the enemy spies yeah and they're trying to pass this human and they're they get into you know shenanigans it was uh, it was really entertaining to watch them trying to figure out christmas and minmay dolls and all of that that was so i think i think i probably enjoyed them the most of any single character but yeah i i also i saw the most of the first section but I still enjoyed the first section the most. So maybe if I saw more of the other ones, I would have a different opinion. But I did enjoy the the first section, I would say. Do we have any final thoughts? Um, I, I, Final thoughts. Um, No, I guess just watch Robotech. It's widely available, including the entire series on um on Hulu. So. And YouTube. <laughs> and YouTube. That's right. Simon? Nope. That's, I think we've got it covered. The last thing I'll mention is uh, I did find it very interesting for, especially because as this was a, originally a, a Japanese show, there's a lot more racial diversity than I would have expected for the, the 80s. Uh, there are lead characters who are African-American. I, I believe they're supposed to be African-American because they have American accents. Uh, <laughs> and and you know, as we already talked about the 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 male and, and female sort of balance of, you know, there's a lot of female characters. Um, and then also I, I did want to mention, I love that the villain, <laughs> one of the main villains has this just ridiculous British accent that I, I, I just, I always go immediately to um, Eddie Izzard stand up talking about how the British are always the bad guys in movies. And whenever he goes into his James Mason, the, the, one of the villains in this piece is just so hilariously James Mason -y evil. It's just it's just delightful. I got a lot of fun out of that. <laughs> uh, I also had a had, had a fun try, time trying to place the accent of the um, the commander, the uh, the mustachioed commander. I was trying like is he is he Russian? He is supposed to be Russian, yeah. Okay. But he, I would not have guessed Russian. He lapses into a few other things. <laughs> yes, I definitely... Russian would not have been in my top five if I was guessing his, <laughs> that character's ethnicity. That's hilarious. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a really interesting show. It's, a, it's very different. The previous show that we animated that we covered on the DVD shelf was uh, 
uh, Ghost in the Shell. So yeah. very, very different. But I look forward to spotlighting future, you know, future anime series and, and the DVD shelf and expanding my knowledge because it was it's really it's it's just sometimes you want to watch giant robots transforming you know into different shapes and shooting at each other. Yeah, especially when the when the giant robot can transform into a fighter jet. I mean, that's like two of the greatest things ever in one. So. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty sweet. And, oh, I, believe, I assume there's a full line of toys? There are, yeah. there. I, I still have several from my, uh, from my childhood and a few uh, more recent ones as well. Good times. Well, thank you for picking Robotech and coming on, uh, Tom. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, they can find me um, on most weeks on the Paul Goebel Show. Uh, or at Twitter, on Twitter at uh, at that Tom Griffin. And the Paul Goebel Show is we've had Paul and Jim on before. Finally, trifecta complete. But uh, and that that's the show you guys talk about uh, TV every week. But it's also comedy, and it's it's and whatever Paul wants to talk about. A bit less structured, perhaps, than we are over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not a lot of structure, but uh, often quite lively. Yes. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.